0: good and important that you feel called to do for others? What are maybe the unique abilities and gifts that you have that you may not talk about as much in public, but you know are good and unique things? Maybe the things that people thank you for, the things that they appreciate about you. Ultimately, what do you feel called to do that is helpful to other people? Now, as you think about that. How does your family respond to this call? People who raised you, the ones that that you grew up with in the same house, that knew you before this particular call, do they see it the same way as you do? Do they see you as this gifted person, this called person? Or just what about your closest relationships, those that you have known for years? Why is it so like for so many of us that we have something to offer people. Like calling from God which is helpful, but those closest to us don't always see it. Our closest relationships, maybe not even always intentionally, they may think we're wrong, they may think that we're wasting our time. They can even think that we're we're putting ourselves in harms way for the sake of this call. Have you ever experienced anything like this? Or you may be sitting in this tension right now with something that you're feeling called to. Those who know you in your current life see it. Coworkers, neighbors, friends. They see these things that you're feeling called to, but your family doesn't. Your closest relationships don't. Well, you might just be in good company. This morning we're going to kick off our new sermon series, Open Secrets. Now, I don't think it's um, too arguable to say that most people respect Jesus of Nazareth. Most most people look to him as an inspiration and and would probably think that uh, if we were to do more of what Jesus did and be more like who Jesus was in our world, it would be a better place. But do we really know all and live out everything that he taught? Over the next eight weeks, we're going to dive into uh, some of the things that he said in front of everybody. They were his public teachings, but these aren't the things that you see on the coffee mug. They aren't the things, that the, the, the quotables that uh, hang on uh, the, the image above the bathroom toilet. These may not even be the statements that you like. These are some of his neglected public teachings, his open secrets. So this morning, Mark 6, 1-6, Jesus left there and went to his hometown, accompanied by his disciples. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things, they asked? What's this wisdom that he has been given? What are these remarkable miracles he is performing? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown, among his relatives, and in his own home. He could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. He was amazed at their lack of faith. So here we have Jesus. He's actually fresh off of living into the fullness of, of his calling by, by God by just casting out demons out of a possessed man, raising a young girl from the grave, healing a sick woman, and he returns home to Nazareth, a, a town that historians would say was about 300 people strong in that first century, a, a place where everyone knows everyone. So a local boy come home, his reputation preceding him. He speaks with wisdom and revealing his power amongst those who knew him as a boy. And they were amazed. But that amazement quickly turns to suspicion. You see, they know who he is. He's a construction worker. He's the son of an undistinguished local family. And though it's not mentioned here, we actually know that at this point his family thought that he was insane, but those around even go as far as insulting him. See, labeling a first century Jew the son of his mother rather than the son of his father was hinting in a vulgar way at illegitimacy. Why does this happen? And and ultimately, in the life of Jesus, what are we supposed to make of this? As people of faith, we believe Jesus is the face of God, that he's doing everything he sees his father doing, that he's one perfect person fully living into his call by God. In his hometown, people that he grew up with, those closest to him, his own family didn't get it. Should we be so surprised when this happens in our own lives? So your relationship with Jesus has called you to new hopes and dreams, but seems to only spark suspicion in those closest to you. You start making different life decisions on behalf of others, but you are questioned why you are making poor decisions by those that you love most. You start taking risks and demonstrating your faith, but seem to still be the young kid questioned about everything in the eyes of those that you love and told how you should live. Ultimately, that you feel you are growing into the call that God has for your life, but your closest relationships don't see it. They question it, and they maybe even mock you. If this is the reality in your life, I'm sincerely sorry. It is not easy. But this is common as the people of God. And that's why we would consider this one of Jesus's open secrets. Why would, why would we want to face the truth that by growing closer with God, by growing in intimacy with Jesus, living more into our authentic calling for the sake of others, those that we love most may not be for us? So, what do we do? if we look at the life of Jesus, and even in this passage here, maybe first, we make peace. See, I don't know about you, but I want people to like me, especially those that I'm closest to. But at what point does your call become compromised by conforming to those around you? Or at what point do you try to just change others? Is fighting with others and arguing with them working? Is it getting angry with them helping anything? What about always trying to just prove something to them? How far is that getting you? Maybe you've heard it said that disappointment is found in between expectations and reality. If your expectation is that everyone you are close with is going to see things the way you do, you're going to constantly be disappointed if you are growing in your life with God. So, are you seeking affirmation from others, or are you seeking affirmation from God? First, make peace with those that may not be on board with you. Second, avoid self-righteousness. When we make peace that God is working in our life, uh, I think that we're actually, uh, we're growing in ways of service to others and sacrifice of self, and not everyone may be on board with this, but really what's happening is I think we're becoming self, and we're becoming less self righteous because we can trust that God is working in their lives as He is working in ours. See, coming to faith, growing in our gifts and abilities can be sometimes like uh, the, the smoker who goes cold turkey but still shames everyone else for smoking. Or the person who found this revolutionary diet but still can't believe that other people eat carbs. Or CrossFitters. Don't get me started on CrossFitters. I did it for a little bit so I can see both sides. But when others aren't on board with the way in which God is leading you, do you feel the need to judge them? To shame them? Even to to hate them? Have grace. And avoid self-righteousness. Third, keep going. Don't stop. Remember, Jesus' own family thought that he was insane. Now, there's a balance to all of this because sometimes we think those closest to us have to support everything we want in life. That what's interesting about God's call in our life is that it's often not something we actually want to do. Not always exciting, it's not always romantic. It's sacrificial. It's willingness to do whatever God may have for you. It's really, ultimately, about blessing others. The spiritual writer Parker Palmer says, Our deepest calling is to grow into our own authentic selfhood, whether or not it conforms to some image of who we feel we ought to be. I would even add who we feel others think we ought to be. As we do so, we will not only find the joy that every human being seeks, we will also find our path of authentic service in the world. At Midtown, we want to continue becoming relationally authentic, spiritually formed, and for others. We want to be a place where formation leads to mission. The thing you are feeling called to is it blessing others. Is it leading to life change in positive ways? If so, keep doing it, even if those closest to you are not on board with it. Because if you don't, I don't think ultimately it's going to help your family. I don't think it's ultimately going to help you. And when we miss our purpose, it actually ends up eating us alive from the inside over time. So. Keep going. Lastly, stay in relationship. Counselors talk about uh, unhealthy peop- people living in either-or paradigms. But they say it's that either you're either either in or you're out, you're either for or you're against. But they say that healthy people can live in both and paradigms. I'm going to pursue my calling, which my loved ones don't see, and still pursue relational wholeness with them. To bail on your calling is to fail, but also to bail on those closest to you who may not be behind you is to fail. I think we need both as they work on us in different ways. Pursuing what God is calling us to is leading to transformation. To press into relationships that are calling us out is also leading to transformation. I think this is actually a huge step in emotional maturity and spiritual maturity because we know that our spiritual maturity hinges on our emotional immaturity. That's a plug for our emotional, emotionally healthy courses that will be coming up this year, by the way, so keep eyes and ears out. But making peace is a move towards self-differentiation. And what self-differentiation is, is, it's the ability to operate as an I in a relationship. My own sets of beliefs, my own convictions, that may be different from those that are closest to me, but I can still pursue relational wholeness with them amidst those differences. And isn't this making us more into the image of God? Someone who is always loving us, even though we aren't always loving him? Aside from toxic relationships that you may need to set boundaries for, and of course, only being able to do what you you can control on your end, are you still pursuing relational wholeness with those that disagree with your calling, who may not be fully behind what you're called to, maybe even against it. It's your call to attend a Bible college that doesn't provide much of a secure career path. Moving to a neighborhood on the other side of the tracks, using your gifts and abilities to serve the forgotten, those on the fringes of society, those that some see as dangerous. Praying for people in public or giving prophetic words to strangers living a life of financial generosity rather than a life of financial accumulation. Keep going. This countercultural list of things that we're called to when when growing in a life with God, I think is ultimately endless. As we look at the life of Jesus, we see that we can be following God on the mission that, that he has for us, and those we love most may not be behind what we are doing. But that doesn't mean God isn't in it. And if it can happen to Jesus, it will surely happen to us in our own life if we are growing in our life with God. Now, if you're listening and you may not yet consider yourself to be a follower of the life and teachings of Jesus. I'm sure this aspect sounds highly countercultural um, and actually unattractive in ways. And I think you might feel that through a lot of this series. Um, especially this because society has such a high view and upholds this, uh, this family unit so high. But I would ask you to consider what could be better for your family and friends than you pursuing your calling that leads to a sacrificial life on behalf of others. There's a character in the Old Testament that I believe we see all of this in, Joseph. Uh, He's found at the end of the book of Genesis. And I think a, a big part of this is that he's the favorite youngest son of 10 other brothers. And he starts having these prophetic dreams at a really young age. Uh, dreams that actually, uh, he has these dreams and he tells everybody, like his brothers, his family, even the stars are going to be bowing down to him. And these dreams pretty much compromise the family lineage, lineage which ultimately compromises Joseph. His brothers are infuriated and, and want to kill him, start to plan out how to kill him, but I guess it's a fair compromise and they just settle by selling him off as a slave. Uh, to a caravan that was passing through. Now, what we see here is a relational break in those closest to him because of the call that he was living into that God placed on his life. The unique gifts and abilities that are that can, that can be good, that can be blessing others, that they're serving others. That, um, Yeah, as years pass... Uh, A lot of years pass. Joseph uh, faithfully continues to live out his call uh, in a foreign land and ultimately becomes the most powerful man second to the Pharaoh in Egypt. Um, And he just continues living into these prophetic dreams and he finds favor. Though it's amidst a lot of challenges in his life, he's faithfully living out his call as all these years pass, famine hits in his homeland, and his brothers, uh, as as probably many did, they come into uh, the larger metropolitan area of Egypt, and they they ask for relief. They need crops. They need water. um, They need to feed their livestock. And unknowingly, as they come, they actually end up face-to-face with Joseph, because Pharaoh had given him authority over all the land. And They come face to face with their younger brother who they sold off years ago. They don't recognize him. And this was the one that they wanted to kill because of his calling. And Joseph, through a number of events, eventually invites them to dinner, still not knowing who he is. And during that time of dinner, he is moved to utter compassion, compassion that actually leads to him weeping. And what happens is he forgives his brothers. He forgives his brothers for everything that they did. And he restores the relationship above and beyond imaginable. Joseph lived fully into his calling. And when able, he actually fully lives into those he was closest. And we see that it is the transformation that occurs in the life of Joseph through faithfully living into his call that leads to the transformation of the relationships around him. Transforming lives, transforming everything. So as we wrap up this morning, and all that God is calling you to, the life of sacrifice and service that is both transforming yourself and others, that may not be everything that you want or desire, or in which those you love may not be fully on board with, my encouragement this morning is to make peace, to avoid self-righteousness, to keep going, and to stay in relationship. So let's go to the table of communion together.